Shabbat Shalom. Welcome to Blessed and Kept. Today, a story about prayer, healing, and the stories we tell. A person diagnosed with life-threatening cancer receives a clean bill of health by a perplexed doctor. A car that won't start leads its owner to just miss an accident that would have killed her. A child is healed of a rare and dangerous disease. We love to tell these stories, especially the ones with kids. The parents can share their testimony of God's provision and goodness. With the prayers offered before the miracle as a backdrop, we delightfully add our amen to the chorus when the storyteller gives the familiar line. Something like, with God, all things are possible. I hate those stories. It's not that I like cancer. Even at my most jaded and cynical, I view someone being healed as a positive. What bothers me is the way we talk about it, the stories we tell to surround it. On a cold October night in 2018, I received a call from my dad. We had friends over, so I didn't answer, but when he called again immediately after, I took the call joking that it must be something serious if he's calling twice. The news on the call switched me into an autopilot to nowhere. While I was lapsing in and out of experiencing emotions and calculatingly planning logistics, the simple news kept repeating. My twin sister Carla was driving home from work. There was a shooter in another car. Carla was shot. She was alive. It took several hours to obtain any more information than that. My wife Courtney was playing volleyball and was not due to arrive home for another hour. I called, but as anticipated, she didn't answer. In the hopes that she would see it between sets, I sent her a vague text. Please come home. Something happened to Carla. The friends who were at our house didn't know how to react. Their uncertainty made their presence awkward. When you receive terrible news... It's best not to be alone, but it's better to be alone than to be with the wrong people. That's not to say the people at our house are bad or that they aren't our friends. They simply weren't the friends I needed at the time. The friends I needed lived five minutes away. They had been our closest friends for years. I had enormous clarity in the moments after receiving the news who I wanted with me. I cannot describe how helpful it is to have the right people with you in the dark moments. These were those people. They were the first people I told after receiving the call. I sent them a text because the less I said it out loud, the less I had to believe it was real. Our friends came and offered the only comfort one can in these situations. Presence and a willingness to be inconvenienced. In our case, inconvenience to the tune of a four-hour drive to Minneapolis for our 5 a.m. flight. 
Courtney returned home and my autopilot kicked in to relay the information I had. My twin sister Carla was driving home from work. There was a shooter in another car. Carla was shot. She was alive. We hastily packed a few bags. As we drove to Minneapolis for our flight to Orlando, where Carla and her husband Daniel live, we received another update. Carla was in critical condition and heading into surgery. The doctor could not reassure Daniel of her survival before the surgery began. Our older sister Chelsea was in Atlanta for a conference at the time and was scheduled to arrive earlier than we were. Fearful of the idea of six hours on a plane with only a funeral on the other side, I found myself drafting a text message I couldn't bring myself to send. Chelsea, if the worst should happen, please don't tell me until I arrive tomorrow morning. I love you. The next week was spent taking shifts sitting in Carla's ICU room while she was sedated, or sitting in the waiting room while she was in four separate surgeries. Carla and Daniel's friends were at the hospital as much as they could be, bringing us meals, writing cards, or keeping Daniel occupied. They were the friends Carla and Daniel needed, and they became people I have great affection for because of it. Time moved slowly, but the week passed in a blur. Carla remembers nothing of this week. None of the times we asked if she could hear us and she would nod her head. None of the times we would say, I love you, and she would lightly squeeze our hands. And gratefully, none of the times she needed to be restrained as she thrashed her arms in bed trying to get the tubes out of her nose and throat. Carla was an orthopedic physical therapist before being shot. Even hopped up on Versed and morphine, she knew what it meant that she couldn't feel or move her legs. When she was finally given relief from the inch-wide tube down her throat, our mother was the first in the room. Within seconds, Carla said, I need to see a neurological physical therapist. The bullet, after narrowly missing her heart, exploded in her abdomen. The shrapnel pierced one lung, destroyed one kidney, and mangled a significant portion of her liver and pancreas before finally coming to rest against the spinal cord between the 10th and 12th thoracic vertebrae. The diagnosis from the doctors was that she would likely be paralyzed from the waist down. We were holding out hope for her legs to come back. Even after we were told by the neurologist that the more time passes, the less likely it was to happen. Still, God can do miracles, right? We spent seven days with Carla in the ICU and three days in the step-down unit. Once awake, she began making jokes and was generally in a positive mood. She was happy to be able to drink water and she diligently did the exercises her physical therapist gave her. On Carla's orders, it was time to come home. At home was where I grew to hate those stories. It started with the lack of acknowledgement. The justification I always used for my silence with other people experiencing tragedy was not wanting to bring it up and remind the person that someone close to them died, as if they forgot. There were many people I interacted with regularly who said nothing, presumably because they did not know what to say. Ironic, 
given that many of them were graduate students and professors in communication. The silence bothered me in the beginning. In the first few weeks back, I would have preferred someone to say the wrong thing than to pretend like nothing happened. It's not as if I forgot that my sister was shot and you bringing it up will throw me into a breakdown. And even if it did, would it be the worst thing you've ever experienced to sit with a grown man while he cries? I wasn't resentful towards any one specific person, rather towards society for training us that we should not talk to people who are hurting and we especially shouldn't talk to them about the cause of their hurt. When we got home, our friends had cleaned our house and arranged for people to bring us meals every day for the first week we were back. We gathered for our usual Friday evening worship one night, shortly after getting home. In the basement of our friend's house, we were inspired to pray, and to pray specifically for Carla to be healed, for her to walk again. We channeled the promises of scripture that say we will do greater things than Jesus did, that anything we ask for in his name will be accomplished. Our prayers were joined with literally thousands of others around the world since Carla was shot, and they joined the prayer I had been pouring my heart into since arriving home, that when Carla was released, she would walk out of the hospital with no need of a wheelchair. Lack of faith was not the problem. We fully believed our prayers would be answered. There was no, if it is your will, tacked on to the end of our prayers, as is often the case when praying for healing. Well, it must not have been God's will, we'll say. God has other plans. We have these phrases we use to insulate our sensibilities, so we have something to fall back on if what we're praying for doesn't happen. Think about the message of those phrases. We don't intend it this way, but the message is that my pain is God's will. We're saying that children dying is God's will. We're saying my sister never being able to use the body God gave her to its full extent is God's will. I'm not sure that's a picture of God worth sharing. Carla was not healed that night. The miracle we were hoping for gets bigger and further out of reach with each day she has to spend in a wheelchair. Jesus promised that through prayer we would have the power to heal and to move mountains and to cast out demons and make trees uproot themselves and throw themselves into the sea. I really wish Jesus never made those promises. Without the possibility of miracles, I still would have followed Jesus. I would still be convinced that the way of Jesus gives us our best opportunity to live together well. I would still believe in the hope and healing of Jesus' message. But Jesus offered more than that. If Jesus had left it at, I am with you always, that would have been great. I would cling to the promise that even in the darkest times, God is there with us. But Jesus also promised we have the power to heal, a promise fulfilled many times by many people in the Bible and throughout history. Which is it? 
Do we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us? Or do only some of us get to tap into that power? That is why I hate those stories. Either God withholds the miracle until we have prayed for the correct amount of time and in the correct way, or God chooses at random when to intervene. Neither option presents a God who is above all else good. It's possible my visceral reaction would be dampened if our stories gave a fuller picture of reality. The only stories we tell are the ones with a happy ending, when the prayer worked. But for every one of those stories, ten others could be told with no answer to prayer, no happy ending. My natural response to our hopeful phrase, we serve a God who can do impossible things, will always be a God who can do impossible things, but doesn't. I wish I had an inspiring note to end with. I tried to bring all these thoughts around to a place of hope and inspiration. It would certainly help me. Just like the many stories we avoid telling, this one has no happy ending. That's not to say there's no happiness. Carla is living life to the fullest extent possible. She has received grants for a hand tricycle to participate in races and a modified van to be able to drive on her own. She has returned to work and through it all has remained in remarkably high spirits. But as for God and for other people and for the stories we tell about God, I have no inspiring thought to help when your prayers are ignored. Nor do I have an obligation to end with such a thought. Because sometimes, all we have are the shattered remains of a broken world. And we are left in the middle to pick up the pieces. I am with you always. Always.